So this morning, we're in uh, the, the start, we're at the start of our new teaching series, No Filter, where I've already said over the next three weeks, we're, we're going to look at big issues in our world that we may not be aware of. But here, this, when we do become uh, aware of them, I think as Christians, we have to engage with them. We have to get involved. And in a moment, I want to introduce a, a good friend of mine to you who will speak to us about modern day slavery, which will be challenging to hear. I want you to prepare you for that. See, he's an expert in the field that he's going to talk about. And over the next 25 minutes, he'll help us to become more aware of, of what's happening right on our doorstep. And then over the next two weeks, We'll, there'll be other people in our congregation that will take part to help us see our world with no filter, highlighting huge topics that we face every day. But before you hear what you're going to hear this morning, like I said, it, it will be challenging. But you need to know that God is a God of justice and that you can be confident that God's justice will ultimately prevail. Ecclesiastes, a, a book in the Old Testament, it says this, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or bad. You see, God hates injustice and he calls his people to be part of the solution. Micah, another book in the Old Testament, Micah 6 verse 8, says that we should always act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. See, God always wants his people to be fair. In fact, he calls his people into action. You see, we're to help those who are helpless. We're to bring hope to those who are hopeless. That's everyone less fortunate than ourselves. You see, we're to look out for the widows, the orphans, the poor, the aliens, or the stranger. And in today's society, that's the asylum seeker, the refugee, and the migrant. But then Jesus, <laughs> Jesus takes it so much further than that. He tells us to love everyone, love one another, and to do good to those who mistreat you. See, God is a God of justice who calls his people into action to get involved. But in order to do that, we have to, uh, we, we have to, for that to happen, we have to open our eyes. We have to be aware of the things that are happening in our world, really with no filter. And with that, I, I want to welcome a, a good friend of mine to the stage. He's an active leader in this church. He leads a, a life group, and he's one of the core leaders on Alpha, and, and I have the privilege of, of doing both those things with him, and he's a, a real encouragement to me. Martin works for the Gangmasters and Labour Abuse Authority, and he's a, a regional intelligence officer, and that's a, a miracle in itself because he has no intelligence whatsoever. <laughs> See, I've bigged him up and deflated him right there. No, he's a, he's a really good guy. So, and you're going to be blown away with what he shares this morning. But please remain open and sensitive through the Holy Spirit. So with that, will you welcome Martin. Martin Plimmer. He's even got a check shirt on. 
Let me pray for him. Let's pray for Martin. Father God, I want to I thank you for Martin. I want to thank you for all that you're doing in him and through him. I want to thank you for what he carries. I want to thank you for what he does day in and day out. And I want to thank you that he's bringing change because of who he carries. Father, I pray now that you'd, you'd use him, Father, to speak confidently, to speak boldly, to, to help us to become aware of these issues that are happening just on our doorstep. Holy Spirit, I pray we'd remain sensitive to you. In your mighty name, amen. Morning, everybody. With friends like that, hey, who needs enemies? <clears throat> uh, just so we know, I don't know whether you know this, when you're invited to do a talk, there's actually a wardrobe department out the back, and you get a checked shirt. Would you believe it? You'll see, though, this is one of Leon's old ones. Can you see the room in it? But then, in all seriousness. Okay, so, um, yeah, I've come to talk to you today about uh, modern slavery and all the issues around it. Um, does anybody know what Tuesday is? Don't say, yes, it's a day. Next Tuesday, anybody aware of what day it is? First slide then, please, sorry. Okay. It is, yeah, apart from vision gathering. It is actually anti-slavery day. Now, that up there, you may be under the apprehension um, that that is to celebrate the end of slavery and the abolition of slavery. It couldn't be any further from the truth. It's actually to highlight the fact that slavery is ongoing in the world. It's an ever-increasing problem. It's a vile crime. So it was started about, I think, seven or eight years ago to again bring up the awareness for people because it had slipped our memories. We all think that it's gone. It's over 200 years ago, and it doesn't happen. So anti-slavery day is all about making people aware. So what I'm going to talk to you about, hopefully, in the next 25 minutes is about modern slavery. Can I just say, some of you are aware my background is I was a police officer for 30 years, dealt with most things, uh, thought I'd seen most things, but in the last six years, working for this organisation, I've had a real reality check. I've seen and dealt with things that I never thought would happen in this country, and I'm ashamed to say that it does. And I don't say that lightly. I will get very emotive about this and passionate because... Honestly, it, it has just blown my mind away. So please bear with me as I go through it, if you think I'm getting a bit passionate. I will say some things that will make you uncomfortable, and I hope it does. Because if you go out of here and it's quite relaxed and stuff, I haven't really achieved what I'm setting out to achieve. So again, then, how bad is the problem? If I could have the next slide, please. Across the world, it's estimated there are between 10 and 30 million <coughs> slaves. 10 and 30 million the bit that worries me is if you look in the bottom corner, there's been a 47% increase since 2012. 47% increase since 2012. Now, I'm not very good at maths, but 47% of 30 million is quite a lot of people. But again, you might be under the, the misapprehension. Well, that's okay, but that's probably across the world. You know, how does that relate um, to the UK? And again... Um, if I'm honest, if you'd have mentioned slavery to me six years ago, this would have been my image of what slavery is. In my psyche and my thinking, slavery was all about black people that were taken from their homeland in chains and were taken away as slaves. But again, my psyche is that that, happened, that ended with people like William Wilberforce that actually had it outlawed 200 years ago. But I just want to say to you, that isn't the picture, folks, anymore. So if I could just have the next slide then. If we look at the problem in the UK, 2014, the National Crime Agency estimated 
that there are a minimum of 15,000 victims of modern slavery in the UK. That is actually a conservative number. There's probably three or four times the amount of that. And it's quite easy to put a number up on a screen and it not mean anything to you. But I would ask you to picture a football ground and think of 15,000 people in a football ground. And actually look at, that's the minimum number of victims that we have in this country on slavery. So modern slavery, and I keep using the term modern slavery, I think it's a real shame and an injustice that last year we had to pass a new piece of legislation called the Modern Slavery Act. We had to actually pass legislation to deal with the problem. Why are we having to pass laws through Parliament to deal with something that should have been eradicated? It's just crazy, isn't it? Modern slavery doesn't sit right with me at all. I just want to take you through some pictures now to show you, because I'm talking about modern slavery. What types of slavery are there? So I'm just going to go through some slides. If I was to say to you, what's, uh, what's that person, why are they a slave? Basically, you wouldn't know, would you? And this is part of the problem. It's a hidden crime. It's in our communities. We can pass people in the street. We can sit next to somebody in church. We can work alongside somebody. And we will never know, unless we're aware, that they're actually victims of slavery. Next slide, please. Okay, the sex trade. There are literally thousands of women that are enticed to this country because Britain, believe it or not, is a really good country and we are a good integrated community. There are jobs in this country. So people are drawn to Britain for a better life. They just want to provide for their family. People who are entitled to come here and work as part of the European Union. But what happens is with a lot of young females... They are told they're coming over to work in an office or they're going to be um, a nanny or whatever the work. And then when they get here, they're taken control of by criminal gangs and they're turned into prostitutes. It's a major problem in this country. They are turned into the, uh, the sex trade industry. Next slide, please. Child sexual exploitation. Again, a big problem in this country. We've seen lots of high-profile cases of where children have been groomed, and they're being used. Believe me, it's an ongoing problem. Um, and I know that the police in particular have poured lots of money and resources into this problem because it's a real issue. So we have to be really careful and protect our young people. Next slide. Nail bars. I've put nail bars up there and it may seem a bit strange, but nail bars, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of nail bars in this country. A lot of them are unlicensed. They have to be licensed. You have to go through training. The reason I put it up there is because I would recommend to you that if you go and use a nail bar, that you first check out that it's on the list of registered nail bars. And the simple reason I say that is twofold. There's a lot of illegal nail bars going on at the moment, and the people that are working them are victims of slavery. The second issue is that a lot of dangerous chemicals are used in the nail industry. So that some of them are actually carcinogenic. So the people that are using them are at risk and you're also at risk if you're sat there. So there is a simple check you can do. Just go on the website, look up National um, Nail Bar Association. I know because I've had a meeting with them that it does exist. You have to be trained. So please do that. Okay, next one. Agriculture. It's a big area that I, that I work in. There are over 2 million people work in the agricultural industry that work to put vegetables on your plate. I think it's 89% of the workforce are from Eastern Europe. 
This is not a political statement. They're not taking British jobs because British people won't do it because it's too much like hard work. So we have a vast proportion of people from Eastern European, from Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, etc., etc., working in this country. Next slide, please. Another big area of concern, and if anybody lives in a, if I use the term, a better off area, in an area where there are four and five bedroomed houses, there is a proliferation at the moment of cannabis houses, cannabis farms. It's mostly Vietnamese nationals are brought into this country. They're set up in a house where they're imprisoned. They're there to water and heat the plants. And they are victims of slavery. They're there exposed to the uh, toxic fumes, etc. So they're on a permanent high all the while. But they are kept as slaves. And that is happening. You'll see it in the local press. Another cannabis factory found. Another house found. But the people that are doing it are victims of crime. Next slide, please. Car washes. Okay, car washes are one of the biggest problems in this country, believe it or not, for criminal enterprise. They are used as a front for people who've been trafficked into the country. They are used for drugs. They're controlled by um, crime gangs. Somebody said to me after the first service, because I said, you know, you've got to, there's a moral issue over whether you use car washes or not. I, use, I have and have used car washes, okay? The only thing I can say to you is that if we're going to stop it, if you go to a car wash and it says £6, and then you go, oh, I know there's one round the corner that's £2, don't go to the £2 one, because it is impossible to pay the national minimum wage for somebody if you're only charging £2. I know it's a difficult thing to do, but if you use it as well, look at other people bedraggled, have they got burns on their hands from using chemicals and stuff like that. Because it's only us as the customers, if we stop using them, we'll make a difference. So I'm not saying don't use car washes, and it's difficult to know, but trust me when I say they are a front for major crime. Massive money laundering. Okay, next slide. Now, I hope you can make that picture out. On, um, on the shoulder of that person there is a barcode that says slave. And the reason I put that up is I just want to use this analogy. If I'm a drugs dealer and I have a kilogram of heroin, I can sell that heroin once. You, as the user of that drug, can take that drug once. However, a slave can be sold over and over and over and over again. The whole reason this exists is for people to make money on the back of slaves. No pun intended. But that's what it exists for. This is all about making money. I was asked by Leon um, a couple of months ago to <coughs> do a talk to churches together in the black country and churches together in Dudley. And he said to me, um, having done it, it seemed to be received quite well. He said, would I be prepared to come and talk to the church about it today? And it's a really emotive subject, and I, I don't want to lose the opportunity of getting this message home to you, so I prayed about it. And, some, and at the time, we were in the middle of the series where we were using films. Do you remember the film series that we did? And a film came to my mind, um, and I'd read the book originally, and then I saw it. So if you could put the next slide up, please. Does anybody remember this? story of Solomon Northup, who was 12 years a slave, and the next slide, please, turned into a motion picture. And I couldn't really understand what um, God was trying to tell me because I was saying, if I try and get this message across, people may say, well, it was awful what went on, but it was 200 years ago and it was another country. But just bear with me on it because if you know the story of it, Solomon lived in North America, he was a well-educated man, lived with his wife and children, and he was an accomplished violinist. 
He was approached by some men and they said to him, come and get a job in this travelling circus that we've got. He went with them on the night and then he was drugged and he woke up in chains. And the next 12 years, he was enslaved, he was brutally beaten. And thank God, eventually, he was, uh, he was rescued. But I couldn't understand why this was going round in my head. And then a couple of weeks after, uh, I happened to go with my daughter Amy and my son Nathan, and we went to Kidderminster Harriers Football Club. Now, I'd never been there in my life. Uh, we went in the ground, and as we walked into the ground, I came face to face with a, a person who I recognised. And the reason I recognised this person was, because in, in the job I do, I go to lots of seminars about modern slavery, and I instantly recognised this person. He looked like a rabbit in the headlights. And because I was looking at him, he was really nervous. So the next slide, please. And I think this is where it clicked for me. This was the message that I think God was putting me and trying me to get across. His name was Michael, and he'd been a slave for 13 years. So next picture, please. This is Michael Hughes two years ago. He lived in Kidderminster, so it's just down the road. He'd been reunited with his mother, having been a slave in the UK for 13 years. I'm just going to repeat that having been a slave in the UK for 13 years. Michael's story is that he went to South Wales to seek employment. He was befriended, and I use that term loosely, by a gang from the travelling community, and they took him as a slave. For 13 years, he lived in a dog kennel, which was no more than four feet wide. He had no running water, no heating, no nothing. So for 13 years... He tarmac drives, he did block paving, he did all the work. So for 13 years, this poor individual was a slave in the UK from Kidderminster, not from a third world country. Thank goodness he was eventually um, rescued. But the thing that really broke my heart when I, I heard about it was, you know when he was rescued, all he wanted to do was go back. That was the only life he knew. He'd been totally indoctrinated, a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. He thought the people loved him. He just wanted to go back. How could a person in this country be a slave for 13 years and nobody know? And I didn't mention this at the first service, but it came to me. There is another case from this one where the same gang have controlled and enslaved somebody for 23 years. That's due to go to court soon. You think of your lifespan. There are people in here who are nowhere near that age to do that. He talked about being beaten. He tried to escape a number of times. He had his leg broken on one occasion by hit with a baseball bat, but was forced to tarmac drives and carry on. So I think that's where the link was. Then I looked at, I was trying to get across, if, if I had to say to you, what is um, a typical modern slavery case and all the issues involved with it. I'm going to tell you about a case I dealt with a couple of years ago because it's got absolutely everything in it. And each one of these facets exists within modern slavery. Next slide, please. I'm going to tell you about Marius. His name isn't Marius, but that's the name I'm using. Two years ago, Marius walked into a police station in London. He was emaciated. He was bewildered. He was very ill. He was suffering from a number of illnesses associated with malnutrition. He was actually, one of the diseases he was suffering from was scurvy. Now, again, when I was at school, scurvy was what sailors got from not taking vitamin C for years. He was really, really in a bad state. He was seen by a consultant who said, his words, not mine, that this is indicative of somebody who's just been released from a concentration camp. That's how bad he was. 
So he was thankfully dealt with by the police and he then started to tell his story. Marius came from Eastern Europe. He was recruited in Eastern Europe and promised a job in this country. He had to pay £400 to get here, so straight away he was in what's called debt bondage. He owed the criminal £400. As soon as he got to Britain, it was £500. And then it went up to six and so So he never actually paid off the debt. He was found work and he said that for eight years he was a total slave. He was put in a house with other slaves. And in that house was what we call alpha males. There were three alpha males whose sole role was to keep people in line. So he lived in that house for eight years. He wasn't allowed to go out. He just went to work where the alpha males worked and kept an eye on him so he couldn't tell anybody. And then he came home at the end of the day. He was earning on average £350 a week, of which he kept £10. Wasn't he lucky? And he then said, he then went on to say the conditions that he and other workers were living in. And he actually had one tooth, that's all he had, in the centre of his, his mouth. And he told us, because they were so malnourished, that all their teeth started to drop out. And he told they were in so much pain that they pulled each other's teeth out with pliers. Now, you know, I, I cannot imagine what would drive somebody to do that. And the thought of somebody pulling my teeth out with pliers is just incredible. He'd got eight untreated fractures where he'd been beaten when he tried to escape. And it took him eight years to escape, as I said. So quite rightly, the police took out some warrants and they said, because there were three addresses where the slaves were allegedly living, and we went along because we're an organisation that tries to eradicate slavery, etc. And we went into the first house, and it just happened to be me, found a filing cabinet. And when I opened the filing cabinet, were 117 laminated files in this filing cabinet. And when I opened them, there was a picture of a person. There was the national insurance number, their bank account details, their PIN number, uh, agreement for loans, benefit claims, etc. All very pristine and, and folded like that. And then I noticed that the PIN number was the same for all 117. And basically they were being controlled by a criminal gang who was taking that money out of their account every week. So they were again were getting 10, 20 pounds. At the end of the inquiry, we identified in excess of 300 victims who had been treated that way. Not all of them were able to come forward and make statements because they were too traumatised or they just wanted to go back home. And that's bad enough, isn't it, what I've said to you? But it gets even worse. We started to look through and there were cash for crash claims. Do you all know what those are? Where people fix, you know. They were forcing these people to have accidents to claim insurance. And then we came across an insurance document and it was for death benefit for a person that had been paid out who died of cancer. And what we found out when we, uh, we investigated further, one of the workers found out they were suffering from cancer and was terminally ill and they were going to die. They went to this criminal and said, we can't work for you anymore. He went, listen, don't worry, what we'll do, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, what we'll do is we'll take out some insurance on you and then your family will get some money. And he said, I can't because I've got to declare the illness. And they said, don't worry, this is how organised they are. We'll send somebody else along for the medical. So they sent somebody else along who looked like him, had all the required documents, identity documents, and he obtained insurance. A couple of months later, he tragically died 
His family got £10,000. The criminal got over £100,000 because somebody was dying and somebody's willing to sign over for £10,000. This is UK. This is in the Kent area of the country. And then the final one, we started to find files as well for claims for people who'd had injuries whilst working. And then when we looked at them, there was something very strange. I think we found 70 in total. And they were claiming for loss of digits. It was either that finger on that hand or that finger on that hand. And what they'd done, they'd been forced to take out personal accident insurance. And then they were told to put the hand on a table and have their finger chopped off. And then if you have your finger chopped off, we'll pay you so many thousands of pounds. And that's what they were willingly doing. Now, you might say, you know, why didn't they go away? Why didn't they run away? Why didn't they do this? They couldn't. And all the victim statements that I've ever seen in my um, profession, which has been nearly seven years now, there's normally a line in it that says, all I wanted to do was provide for my family. All I wanted to do was put food on the table. Okay, it's hard for us to understand, but the pressure they can be put under to do that. And then the final one, which again I forgot of the first service, there were some women in the house as well, they were forced into prostitution as well, on top of all of that. Okay, so finally then, I just want to bring it to a local footing now, so next slide please. This is called From 10 Years a Slave, so first picture please, if you wouldn't mind. A couple of years ago, I was sent down to Kempsey. That's a picture of Kempsey with the Malvern Hills in the background. We were told that a criminal gang were operating in a spring onion field. Part of my role is I do surveillance. So I went down, I was hidden in a bush, I was taking pictures. Came back home at the end of the day. You look at what you've got. And when I looked at it, I looked at that picture and I thought, that looks like a small boy to me. So I spoke to my wife, who used to be a child protection officer. She's worked with children for a number of years. She said, yeah, that's a small boy. So we went back the next day to Kempsey with the police and we raided the field. We found nine children working in the field. One boy and the rest were females. Next picture, please. That's the boy. He said the man next to him was his uncle. It was a term that was used for somebody who oversees him and looks after him. It wasn't his uncle at all. He was there to make sure that boy and the other children worked 14 hours in that field, picking spring onions. Next picture, please. These were two of the girls that were rescued. The girl on the left is 11 years old. The girl in the middle is 14 years old and is pregnant with her second child. Let me just say that again. 14, pregnant with her second child. All of the nine children have been sold. This is a Romanian community. That's no disparaging on the Romanian community. They just happen to be Romanian nationals. They were sold, the children were. They weren't related to anybody in that field. We had to take them into care. Um, six of them were found the family, but I think three of them, we never found the parents. Never found the parents. So we did the inquiry. Next picture, please. Um, we looked at, that was the van they arrived in. 14 people got out the back of that van. You don't need to be a police officer to know that that's actually wrong. There's no seatbelts, there's no nothing. Next picture, please. Did a follow-on inquiry. We then went back to the houses where they were living, which happened to be in Oldbury and West Brom. So not a million miles away from here. First house we went to on the face of it, it looked a normal house until we opened the door. We found that... Next slide, please. We found that 25 people were living in that house. There were five children under the age of five who were being looked after by a seven-year-old girl. 
So in the day, she was left to look after those while the others went out working. That's just one of the bedrooms. Um, it's what's called hot bedding. People will sleep in it, get up and go to work. Somebody else jumps in the bed. Next picture, please. That was one of the children's bedrooms. I don't know whether you can make that out, the mould on the wall there in the background. This is the conditions they were living in. Next picture, please. This is the kitchen area, but if you look in the, some of the pots, there's meat in there that's rotting and stuff, but that was still being consumed because the um, refrigerator didn't work. Next picture. Flick through the next two or three, please, if you wouldn't mind. This was the garden that was outside. Um, and as you can see, lots of alcohol because the people, the victims, that's what they went through. They just resorted to alcohol. And the reason I show you that is... That house, believe it or not, deteriorated to that state in just over three months. What had happened was somebody had rented that house out to who they believed was a couple. Then the criminal moved in all the other people. The only complaints that ever registered was um, some of the locals rang the council and said, we've got a rat problem. Some people said there's a lot of rubbish next door. The police went along and knocked on the door in the daytime but never found anybody. Because the other thing the neighbours were saying is there's car doors slamming at three in the morning and there's car doors slamming at 11 at night. And that's because the people going out to work at three, coming back at 11. The children were told to hide under the beds and not answer the door to anybody. That is not a criticism of the police, what I've just said. But this is what's going on in communities and we don't see. Final slide on that one, please. Sorry, it isn't the final But You can see meat there in um, a plastic container. Again, that's what they were eating, raw meat. Just disgraceful. Next one. And again, on a, on a um, public safety health thing, I'm no electrician, but that's not safe. It isn't, is it? Okay. I can't think well, there's another slide. So, so what? I've stood up here and I've told you about this. So what, what, what you know, how does this relate to us? Can I just tell you, the West Midlands is the biggest hotspot in the country for modern slavery. And the simple reason is we have established what we call ethnic communities that are set up in communities. So people will come across for work, and there is work, and they'll assimilate into those communities. We have a good transport network, and we have lots of housing. We have lots of spare housing. So if I'm a criminal, I want to control every facet of your life. I want to put you in a house and control you, and I'll get you work, and there's lots of jobs. So firstly, you need to know that the West Midlands is a real, real hotspot. Why am I telling you then? What I'm trying to say to you is, by raising your awareness, it might just, you might have a bit of a light bulb moment and say, actually, there is a house down the road where the curtains have been drawn for four months and I've seen lots of people going in and out, but it never really registered before. One thing I want to impress on you is, think, Michael... Think Marius, think nine-year-old boy, think 11-year-old girl, think 14-year-old girl, and pick up the phone and tell somebody. If you get it wrong, does it matter? And the answer is no. If you get it right, you might actually rescue somebody that's been a slave for 13 years, 12 years, whatever. You're rescuing them from prostitution, all these things. So what I'm saying to you is, tell somebody, tell me, come and speak to me and I will pass it on. There are a number of police officers in the congregation as well. Tell them, tell somebody. The issue we have is with the slaves in the communities, they come from former Eastern, uh, sorry, former communist countries. A lot of the countries, are sad to say, 
There is corruption. So the police are corrupt. The officials are corrupt. They are told that by the criminals in this country that we're all corrupt. So they won't tell anybody. So it's on us to spot these signs. It's on us to do something about it. You might have somebody. I don't know all your jobs. That would be impossible. In your workplace, you might have a victim of slavery. You might sit alongside them. There might be people in this church that are a victim of slavery. It's about the awareness. It's about telling somebody. And if you're a bit, you know, oh, I don't really want to do it, ring Crime Stoppers. Ring Crime Stoppers because it's totally anonymous. And trust me, it will be acted upon. But this is a vile crime that's going on in our communities. It's not happening in another country. It's not happening in another city. It's happening in our towns. And I, I know of addresses in Hales Zone where it's happened. Okay, so we need to be aware of this. We need to be brave and we need to stand up and be counted. Just so you know, if we do rescue somebody, they can, they can go into what's called the National Referral Mechanism, which is a scheme that's run by the government and it's done by the Salvation Army. They can be rescued into that system for 45 days where they'll receive counselling and help, etc. So have some confidence. If you tell people, something will be done. I want to talk about because I think I'm overrunning slightly, but I just want to talk about um, Food Bank. We had a presentation a couple of weeks ago from Food Bank. Can I tell you how important Food Bank is? A lot of the victims that we've dealt with have said, if it wasn't for Food Bank, I would have starved. My family would have starved. Okay, so can I encourage you, if you don't, to contribute to Food Bank? Because trust me, it is saving lives. That's not being dramatic. It is saving lives. Okay. I'm pulling it to a close now. I just want to say to you that it's not all bad news. As an organisation, we rescued over 700 people last year from labour exploitation, changed their lives. We've taken over 50 people into the national referral mechanism and we've prosecuted a number of offenders that have received prison sentences between five and nine years. There's a lot of organisations out there, the police and other people, that are doing a fantastic job. But they will only be able to do that job if we tell them. You tell us, because that's where we get our intelligence from, is people picking up the phone. It is difficult to spot. Please bear in mind, I'm not standing here as a know-it-all. If I went back six years, I was in the same position. But trust me when I tell you, it's on your doorsteps. Just want to finish up with two more slides and then I'll promise I'll be quiet. I love this thing. I came across this about three or four years ago. It's on my desktop on my computer now. And it's from William Wilberforce. And he said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. All of you now know. All of you now know what's going on in the community. And I just want to fi finish with these pictures for you. Again, those pictures speak to me because pictures do speak to me. Yes, we need to help people. We have a moral and a Christian obligation to do it. Just look at the different types of slavery there are. It can be a house slave. It can be people through labour exploitation, sex industry, whatever. And that's it. Thank you very much. Wow, that was incredibly powerful, wasn't it? Martin, why didn't you come back a minute? Sorry, I know you've only just come down, but please, could you, could you join with us and could, could you pray? Let, let's, let's pray and let, let's all pray. Firstly, I, I want to pray for the victims. I want to pray for the victims of this. Then 
I want to pray for Martin, who's, who's, who's in this and his organization day in, day out. And then, as this has brought up a whole host of emotions, possibly sadness, unbelief, even anger, I want to pray for the perpetrators. We heard last week about grace, didn't we? And if they get this, if God transforms them, them then this whole situation will be transformed. So we're called to, to pray for them as well. So why don't you, if you're a Christian, let's stretch our hand and, and let's pray. And, and use your words as well. Father God, we are so impacted by what we've heard this morning. Father God, and some of us will have a whole host of, of feelings and, and emotions going on. But Father God, what we do want to do is, is bring it before you. And Father God, we want to pray for, for some of these people we've heard about today. Thank you that they've been rescued. Thank you that they are now safe, Father God. But we're also aware that there's many thousands, Father God, that are still in those situations. Lord God, and we pray right now, Father, that you would somehow break through into those situations. Father, that you would be so close to them. Father, that they would tangibly feel you. Lord, we said that many may be in churches across the, the country today. Father, would you reach out? Would you break through? Father, I pray that you would rise up people and help people to be aware of, of these situations like we've just heard today. And then, Father God, I want to pray for Martin. I want to thank you so much for him. Thank you, Father God, that, that he's a Christian on the front line of this day in, day out. And thank you that he's bringing transformation because of his compassion and passion to see a difference. And then, Father God, this is hard, but we want to pray for those perpetrators. Father, we pray that your grace would come upon them. Father, we pray that they may be transformed Father, we pray that they would stop right now in the name of Jesus, that you would convict them, Father God. And we pray as they're transformed, Lord Jesus, you would transform those situations. So Lord Jesus, with what we've heard today, we, we give it back to you. But Father, we want to continue to be aware and, and sensitive. Father, there may be people sitting right next to us. There may be houses in our neighborhoods where this is going on. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and you would stir us into action. In Jesus' name, amen.